Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Bye bye, man. It's episode number 42 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the world's most euphoric Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and not joining me for this evening is my chum Liam O'Donnell. Yes, Liam is away tonight. He had to take care of his newborn, and I've been assured, despite my suggestion that uh, the newborn should be Erica Roberts Douglas O'Donnell, that the name of the child is indeed Maeve Patricia Tyndall O'Donnell. And of course, we hope to have him away from his child and back on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man very, very soon. Yes, this is a shout out to you, Liam. I hope you and your wife and child are doing well. So to make up for the lack of Liam, we needed a superstar guest. And in fact, this is an Eric Roberts is the fucking man first. We're having a returning guest. It's not, hey, don't even think for a second it's because I couldn't get someone to sit in and and watch awful Eric Roberts movies. No, that's not the case. Sometimes you just need to really go for the best. And I'm not going to lie to anyone listening right now. My guest today is my favorite Eric Roberts is the fucking man guest that we've had. She's full of stories. She writes for The Establishment, Consequences of Sound, and Fightland, and she's just terrific. It's Sarah Kirchuk. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm well. I did not know that I was your favorite. I am my favorite, too, so this is very exciting for us. You are both our favorites, and and it is very exciting. And what I like most about this episode is that you had a real hand in choosing the projects that we're going to be talking about. I did. You know, once I saw you were more working more regularly on the podcast again, I uh, went digging to see if Robert Vaughn had in fact been in anything with Eric Roberts, and now look what I found I, us. I don't want to interrupt you, Sarah, but why sh- why why would anyone care if Robert Vaughn was involved with a project involving Eric Roberts? Um, well, obviously everyone cares because Mm -hmm. Robert Vaughn is also the fucking man. Oh. Um, at least in my heart. (laughs) Um, yeah, because I am obsessed with the late, great Robert Vaughn. Now tell me, Sarah, for, for listeners who don't know who Robert Vaughn is, now obviously everyone listening right now is intimately... Uh, uh, aware of who Eric Roberts is, but it's possible, and I'm just throwing it out there, we have a lot of younger listeners, that they might not know who Robert Vaughn is. Who is he? And can we expect to see lots and lots of him in the projects that we're covering today? Um, Yeah, we're we're just going to be seeing about as much Robert Vaughn in the one project we're discussing as Eric Roberts in the other project (laughs) we're discussing tonight. Uh The theme is going to be that our fucking men were completely underutilized. (laughs) the theme of the night um but yeah let me tell you about robert vaughn he was of course napoleon solo the only true napoleon solo from the man from uncle because henry cavill is an empty void he is an absence of robert vaughn more than a human being um yes so robert vaughn was most famous as an actor uh, other than man from uncle he was the last living member of the magnificent seven until he passed away last november um, he had been nominated for an Oscar for a role in The Young Philadelphians, where he starred with a very young Paul Newman. Um, later in life, he was known for as one of the stars of Hustle, the BBC show, which was very repetitive, but very fun, and he was charming <laughs> in it. He was also in the fifth season of The A-Team. They brought him in, and um, also known for a lot of law commercials where they just brought in the poor old Bob and gave him money to sell everybody's like local law firm and on top of that he was an activist um he was involved (laughs) in the anti-vietnam protest long before jane fonda and any of those high profile names became involved um he debated william f buckley about the vietnam war at one point and he wrote the greatest book ever which is his memoir a fortunate life now i'm not going to pretend that i have even close to the knowledge of Robert Vaughn's life that you do. But was he something of a Lothario in his life? You know what? He was, uh, probably through most of his youth. Um, Probably the most famous woman he dated was Natalie Wood. They were both afraid of water, and that didn't Mm. turn out so well for one of them. And, um, yeah, he... (laughs) 
he had an, an, a couple of other famous dalliances. He talks a lot about women in the book. I think he was known as more of a lover than he probably was in life because as beautiful and charming as he was, he was also like super, super dorky. So I think that reputation got blown up a little bit. I feel more connected to Robert Vaughn now that I know that he was a big dork than I really ever have felt before. So I appreciate you giving all of us that information. It makes me wonder how come there isn't a Robert Vaughn is the fucking man podcast. I'm just throwing that idea out there. Someone could take it. It and is run something with it. I have considered, uh, you know, a few times. I'm a little bit lazy, but I do truly want to spread the word of Robert Vaughn. So perhaps there will be at some point. Now, lazy is the last word I would use to describe you, Sarah, because you write, you're a writer, you write on a regular basis, you're writing all the time. Uh, and in fact, my understanding is that you were just interviewing somebody for, or some people, uh, from the mixed martial arts world just earlier today. That's right. Uh, I was interviewing the women's bantamweight champion and her girlfriend, who is well on her way to perhaps becoming the women's strawweight champion. Now, I'm a typical guy. And when I see women punching each other, all I think is, that's not very ladylike. What should my response, what should your response be to someone like me that's like, I don't want to see women punching each other in the face? Well, why not? Yeah, you why not? Any women punching each other in the face. But don't you want to see skilled women punching each other in the face? I am turned around entirely on the really subject. one part of it. They're also kicking each other in the head and in the torso and in the shins. Um, they're choking each other. It's a like spectrum and a beautiful bouquet of different ways they attack each other. The punch is just one little part of it. Uh, I, I, of course, was being facetious. I do watch <laughs> my own share of mixed martial arts fighting. And, of course, I appreciate the women in it very, very much. I was just speaking for some of the real... Look, again, our audience for Eric Roberts is a fucking man tend to be young, but they also tend to be of low intelligence. So I had to make sure that we were speaking to them just as we start. I feel like sometimes... You're receptive now that you've explained, you know, their uh -huh. intelligence. Yes. Look, here's the thing. If they don't realize that, uh, that how stupid they are, they won't realize that I'm talking down to them. And then they'll expect a certain level for the rest of the show. But of course... We're going to take the uh, the conversation and we're going up with it. When they go down, we go up. And, of course, we're going to have a really good discussion about two major Eric Roberts projects today. Oh, now, uh, yeah. In fact, why don't you tell us what those projects are before we go into the segment of the show that I'm not going to say until we get to it. All right. So we are looking at an episode of season five of Glee, you know, one of those <laughs> seasons people really paid attention to, mm -hmm. episode 18, the backup plan, um, featuring just so much Eric Roberts, I don't know how we're going to fit it in, um, and a bunch of other people that I assume they just sort of like closed their eyes and picked a guest star of the week list in advance and just took random names from it. I joke sometimes, Sarah, about projects being star-studded, but this episode of Glee legitimately was star-studded. It was! And then look look how they used them all. It was... <laughs> some, of them, some of them fared better than others. Because <laughs> some of them were actually used. <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we have the... 2014 horror classic, A Cry From Within. A.K.A. Sebastian. Yes, um, I, I believe A Cry From Within. It, it describes how the viewer feels while trying to Ooh. sit through it all. That might, might be giving away a little too much. You know, I just realized, since you just described Robert Vaughn and his um, Oscar nomination, that Sebastian, A.K.A. A Cry From Within, has three Oscar-nominated actors in it. Yes. Yes, That's, it does. <laughs> that is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> it really is, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we will get to it because first we got to talk about the Roberts. Yes, it's the Roberts Report for episode number 42 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. And as per usual, we're going to start with some recent tweets from the man himself. You can, of course, follow Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts, all one word. Hey, that's a great Twitter name. Recently, <laughs> Eric Roberts happened to watch the Screen Actors Guild Awards. He actually was live tweeting it as, uh, as he has wont to do. And uh, he had so much interesting th stuff to say, but... One of the things he said on January 29th was at hashtag 
SAG Awards, all those casts are just heavenly, no way to choose, all winners, all. Sarah Kirchak, is TV so good right now? You know, TV is pretty good right now. I, I don't know if I would say all winners all, but, I, I mean, he's on the right track there. What was going on with Winona Ryder at the SAG Awards? She was just full of life and incredibly expressive because she is an artist and she sees the world that way. Are you happy about the Winona Ryder comeback that has occurred since Stranger Things? Now, I say that without her knowing if she's been cast in anything else, but certainly the general interest in her career seems to have risen. Yeah, I think um, she has a, a whole new generation of people who are perhaps, we're aware of her, but are paying a lot more attention now. And yeah, it's, I'm not necessarily one of those who thinks of her as the, you know, alt brunette goddess that all weirdos <laughs> can embrace because she's still a super pretty white girl who did really well for herself back in the day. But yeah, it, it's satisfying to see her on the upswing while Johnny Depp is not. Hmm. Why no forever? <laughs> Why no forever? <laughs> uh, recently also tweeted by Eric Roberts. Now, here's the thing. Now, you might not know this, Sarah, but there's sort of a lot of political controversy going on in the world lately. Yep. Uh, partic- yeah, and I'm, we're both in Canada, but down in the United States. Now, not just in the United States. Certainly, mm-hmm. there's political issues going on worldwide, including in this country. But it just seems like a lot of focus lately has been on the United States of America. You'd think they would have said something then. Yeah, right? Yeah. But, uh, and, you know, some of the people who are speaking out against this whole situation happen to be celebrities. And if, say, you are a supporter of the person in charge down there, mm-hmm. you might say to these celebrities, hey, why don't you just shut up and be an actor and not give your opinion on things? What do you think about that, Sarah? Well, I mean, I'm hardly the first person to say this, but you, you lose the right to say that when you vote. For a reality star. Well, Eric Roberts has an opinion on this subject. Someone, mm-hmm. someone mentioned to him that why do people think just because someone is a celebrity that they don't have the right to express their views politically or otherwise? Eric Roberts replied, views and emotions, all people should share what's important to them. That's the beauty of life. Sarah, agree or disagree? Well, you know what? That was a really um, innocent and way to put it without really ruffling any feathers, but, you know, good on Eric Roberts. Um, I am all for all four celebrities speaking their minds. Um, honestly, if a, pop, if a populist can't appreciate that they shouldn't be getting all of their opinions from their favorite actors, then that, that's really on them. Although I suppose the whole world is in trouble because we can't trust people not to follow the political opinions of their favorite reality stars. Um, but then I am a huge Robert Vaughn fan, and mm-hmm. he spoke his mind quite frequently on a number of subjects, and that is part of what I love about him. So, yeah, go for it. Be Sarah, like- if, if one of my favorite celebrities happened to have very vile political views, should I reject them and excise them from my life? Well, I obviously have, as a man from Uncle fan, a somewhat complicated relationship with the man from Uncle who is still alive right now, David McCallum, who spent the past year saying some nice things about Trump and favorably quoting Margaret Thatcher in interviews. Mm. Um, I have not been able to completely reject him from my heart, um, and it helped that I had Bob in the way to replace him. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely strains the relationship for me. I'm not good at separating the art from artist entirely. I would agree with you there. Now, something maybe less controversial. Eric Roberts also tweeted, hashtag Denzel Washington, one of the very best of all time. What do you think, Sarah? Well, I mean, who is going to argue with that? I don't know. People who dislike Denzel, I guess. Fascists? Yeah, that's right. There's a few of them going around lately. <laughs> At the Delaware State News at DelawareStateNews.net, there's an article that's uh, really just listing interesting events taking place in the lovely state of Delaware. So this is a film called Days of Power, which on Thursday of this week is premiering. uh, (laughs) It is apparently distinctly Delaware. It'll be shown at West Town Movies at 7 p.m. The film was shot almost entirely in the first state, which is, I guess, what people call Delaware, and (laughs) features local actors and musicians such as Milford native Missy... Grinkowitz, along with Oscar-nominated actor Eric Roberts. It's a thriller about an international pop star and bandmates who mysteriously disappear while on tour. What album should people be listening to in the year 2017, Sarah? 
Oh, I don't know. I've gone back. Um, I'm still waiting for the KLF to return, so a little bit of the white room maybe just to prepare in, in case. Sarah, recently, and now this is really exciting. In fact, I probably should have led with it instead of all that nonsense I just said. Yes. Over on CelebVM.com, this is, <laughs> this is a website where you can get celebrities to record voice messages, that's the VM in the title, uh, to you, to you, the listener, or to me, the host of this very show. And you might be asking, why the hell am I bringing this up? Why would I care about something like this? Well, listen up, Buster. One of the people recently added to this website is a certain actor who might have a podcast of his own that he's, you're listening to right now. You can get a customized, personalized, and unique video message <clears throat> from one Mr. Eric Roberts. And you can get it for the low, low price of $100. Now, listeners out there, uh, this is a nonprofit venture here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. No money uh, exchanged in order to make this show happen. I want you to be able to enjoy yourselves listening without having that crunch of me constantly asking you for money or having advertisements and things along those lines. However, if one of you wanted to give me $100 so I could get Eric Roberts to record a ludicrous message onto this very show, I would be greatly appreciated. I would greatly appreciate it. Sarah, what do you think I should have Eric Roberts say to me? Oh, I don't know. It should probably be really just some of those beautiful expressions he has for people. I think hashtag Doug Tilly is one of the best, maybe, or something along those lines. I was thinking, I hate Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the podcast, and I will sue you if I... <laughs> If it is not taken down immediately, I think that would be pretty great. Maybe I should have him do that. What do you think, listeners? If you agree, uh, have, why don't you tweet me over at, e, at ERITFM or onto our Facebook group? Do that right now. Do it. Do it right now. Over on the HoustonPress.com, uh, there's a movie called The Candidate, which has recently been filmed in several locations in and around Houston, Texas. It features actors such as a Golden Globe and Academy Award nominee Eric Roberts as well as Anthony Ray Parker, who's known for his role in The Matrix, and Gary Lee, uh, who is somebody else, I guess. Uh, so keep your eyes out for The Candidate. I wonder what that's about. Maybe it's a, about a political candidate. What's your favorite political movie, Sarah? Dick. I see. <laughs> Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2017's Fearless Heart from the director of 2013's Demon and 2007's gothic vampires from hell, Rob Walker. This is a movie featuring an all-star cast, including Joe Estevez, Vernon Wells, and Eric Roberts. It's about a young family stranded in the slums of New York City during the Great Depression. Look out in your local video store, if such a thing even still exists, for 2017's Fearless Heart from director Rob Walker. How you doing, Sarah? I'm well. How are you? Oh, boy. Conflicted. I feel yes. conflicted. This episode has, and really the, 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 the political atmosphere and, and just the whole way that the world is working has left me conflicted. So I was very glad that you gave me the opportunity to focus on something else for a while in these two projects that we're going to be talking about today. It has been helpful for me, too. Well, I, I'm glad of that, and I'm glad to have you here, because we're going to go into our first break now. And when we return, we're going to talk about a project that involves an emotion that I haven't felt a lot lately, which is, that's right, Glee. We'll talk about Glee Season 5, Episode something or other, right after this. Glenn, Glenn here is my new discovery, and as you all know, I'm never wrong. So... Reaching for the stars, when Rachel lands an audition to act in a TV show, Funny Girl takes a back seat. But it's not without some serious consequences. 
Meanwhile, Kurt and Blame, 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 perform for a celebrity with an eye for talent. Yes, it's season five, episode 18 of Glee, the television series. This episode's called The Backup Plan and originally aired on April 29th, 2014. And this, as we mentioned before the break, is a star-studded episode, especially if you're a nerd like me who likes a lot of like character actors. Not only do we have Community's Jim Rash... We have Richard Kind. You might know him from, well, all sorts of different projects. I know him best because he was once George Clooney's roommate and has a great story about George Clooney taking a human-sized shit in his uh, litter box. Uh, (laughs) We also have the great Michael Lerner here uh, in in a memorable role. And the main guest star is one Miss Shirley MacLaine. And I'm sure we'll talk about her in just a little bit. And somewhere down the list is also the man himself, Eric Roberts, credited as the fundraiser... Coordinator. We'll get into that in just a second. Sarah, I want to start with you have watched more Glee than I have. Yeah. What what to what is Glee first? And also uh, what do you think is the appeal of the show or was the appeal, I should okay. say? Okay, because yeah, none of this is gonna make sense in the context of the episode you watch. Because mm-hmm. when Glee started out, it was about, you know, plucky loser high school kids and a plucky loser high school teacher coming together and you know, reviving a glee club in their little shitty high school. Um, and that combination of bizarrely earnest and slightly ironic, if you happen to say, have been in a glee club in high school, or if, say, your high school didn't have a glee club, so you joined a neighboring high school's glee club, like I did once, um, it, it actually would really speak to you. So we w- followed them through high school as they were sort of like, underdog losers and then when it came time for them to graduate it was suddenly like oh shit what do we do now and then they just sort of immediately made them all trying for fame or like starring on broadway and funny girl with no like college experience or any more of that underdog charm that made people want to watch the show and this is where we find ourselves in season five (laughs) with rachel berry playing fanny bryce I, I'm glad that you've given me a little more perspective on this, Sarah, because like you mentioned, this episode in season five of this show is not seemingly representative of what the early <laughs> seasons of this show may have been like. Except for the fact that, oh, we know some of these characters by name. Here they are being given all of the shit they dreamed of the minute they stepped outside of high school. I did feel like, I, I mean, obviously I'm being dumped right into the middle of plot lines that, that some of them wrap up in this episode and some of them had uh, started well before and will continue afterwards. I will say that without any affinity for these characters, this episode didn't necessarily build affinity into me. As in, uh, the, the, the character that it most focuses on is, is Rachel, who is starring in Funny Girl on Broadway. Uh, and she, the big conflict of the episode, is that she... Uh, pretends that she's sick so she can fly to New York to do... uh, Oh, no, wait, she has to fly to California, I mean, in order to do an audition for a television show. But uh, because she lies and says that she's sick, it ends up causing all sorts of problems because her understudy falls off something and uh, and they need her back to perform. Uh, I I had trouble being sympathetic to her situation. Gee, um, Because I feel like a lot of her troubles maybe were brought on herself... Uh, and also, apparently, she's only been like on this Broadway play for a few months. <laughs> yeah, this is her first gig ever on Broadway. She's in the starring role, and she just decides to throw it all under the bus to go audition for Fox. And, of course, in the end, is rewarded for it. Yes, and that, to me, was the part that stuck in my throat a little bit. Because at the end of the episode, she gets a, uh, a right telling off by Michael Lerner, who's the producer of the Broadway play. He basically, like, runs her down pretty hard. And we're supposed to be all kind of sad and depressed because her audition went really badly anyway. And it's like, well, I guess she's being punished for making these really awful decisions. And then you find out immediately afterwards that the Fox executive, played by the great Jim Rash, has actually offered her a developmental deal so they're going to develop their her own show for her, and she doesn't even need to go to California. They'll bring the person to her to help develop it, and it seems like everything worked out better than it would have worked out if she had never gone in the first place. Yes, the, the lesson here is just, like, be a complete asshole, just squander every opportunity you've been given that you don't deserve, and there will be more. What is the appeal, Sarah, 
Now, you're a music person in that you have uh, written about music in the past, and I'm sure that you still are a great enthusiast of music. Yeah, I have my moments. You have your moments, and I think you're being, uh, uh, you're, 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 you're uh, I can't remember the word. What's the word I'm looking for here, Sarah? You're, you're being, um, what is it when you put yourself down because you're actually a lot better than the thing that you were just saying? Um, what were we talking about? Humble brag? Humble brag? Let's say... I think just humble is the word I was looking for. Oh, okay. You're being humble, but obviously you know a lot about music. What's the appeal of the music in the television show Glee? And I ask this for a specific reason. Now, I do like music. Certainly, I recognize the music that was being performed in this episode. But I, perhaps tongue-in-cheek, on Twitter I said that it, they were kind of Pat Boonish covers of these songs. It felt like they drained a lot of the emotion and energy uh, <laughs> out of some of the songs. Some of them probably didn't have a lot in the first place. But what is the general appeal of the songs on um, Glee? I, I think it's sort of like kids bop or kid pop, whatever, for grown-ups. <laughs> um, it just takes, like, scary new music and the occasional Broadway song and makes them a little more palatable. So for people who are, like, scared of what the kids like this is sort of their entrance into that world now of the songs that were performed on this episode sarah which was your favorite i mean favorite is a complicated word here mm -hmm, and i mm -hmm. think the reason i'm going for doo-wop is just because i think the song is so good that it's actually really hard to ruin it um the, the context in which it was used in the show was absolutely absurd which was just having Gary Durden follow two girls around, getting New York sounds in the background of their recording that they were trying to do, because the other super relatable plot here was that <laughs> one of the girls had a record contract that wasn't going well, so she wanted to do a duet with the other girl, Santana, and it wasn't going well because the studio was, like, too... I don't know, sterile. So then they like hung out in a bathroom and sang Lauren Hill and learned something from that. Hmm. I'm not sure what they necessarily learned. Maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention, but I think it was that they needed more street in yeah. their music. A um, basement. Um, <laughs> which smacked of someone telling someone to be more urban in the way that they're singing. Yeah, uh, much, but they meant like literally urban, just go into a pile of wood or something in the basement of a building. Um, he's, he's literally the, the, the sound recording guy whose name that you just mentioned, he used to be on CSI and I think he got into some legal trouble. Yep. He's like circling around them as they're singing the song. I just can't imagine the acoustics would be perfect for a recording, but I don't know because what do I know about sound? Because Zero. It's not street enough. So uh, that's I mean, right. Actually, that is very, very true. Yeah. There is also. The recording sounded so street. So it like really sounded to me like they got a vibe from a city from that really neutered Lauren Hill cover. Yeah, because they literally couldn't hear them singing. You could just hear background noise and fucking yeah. cabs going by. There's also, of course, a acapella version of Bette Midler's The Rose yeah. performed in this. Now, what do you think of that song in this performance? Um, you know what? That one kind of worked for me because, like I said, I have some like glee choir experience, and there were always, you know, <laughs> acapella harmonizing rose covers going on. That's it's pretty standard territory. Now, the least favorite of the performances for me, and this might just be for me, uh -huh. involves a cover of uh, Janis Joplin or Big Brother and the Holding Company's "Piece of My Heart," which involves both one of the lead actors on the show and Shirley MacLaine singing this song. Uh, what were your feelings about that particular cover? Yeah, I ranked that as the worst song of the episode. Um, that that should never have been done to a Janis Joplin song. It was the most like, painfully soulless thing that made me sad for everyone involved, including me as the viewer. So uh, Shirley MacLaine in this episode plays a... Um, is she an agent? I mean, I know that her name is on the, the building... She's Socialite, I think, is what they went with, um, and just that, you know, she liked talent and had an eye for it. But I don't think she had an official agent role at any point. So Kurt and Blaine, who are two of our lead characters, she takes a liking to one of them, but not the other. Uh, and they're a couple, so, but they're, and one of them, they... One of them is jealous, the one that was not picked, is obviously jealous of the other, but doesn't really want to express that in any sort of harsh way, because there's no reason to feel harsh about it. But uh, but the other is really trying to pick up for him and say, like, let's get him involved. But Shirley MacLaine just doesn't like him. What's up with Shirley MacLaine? 
Um, what, like as a person or in the episode? My understanding, Sarah, is that she has um, the sixth sense and has the ability to uh, read minds and tell the future. Yeah, I have heard that about Shirley mm-hmm. Um Perhaps they were riffing on that a bit with her being able to like smell talent because I'm not really sure what that performance of uh, a One Direction song at an arts college was supposed to tell her about his talent. That she like ran up on stage and was like, "I see something in you. Let let's go murder Janis Joplin tunes." Um, and I don't know where I'm going with that thought at all. <laughs> So, obviously, this is an off-model episode of the show compared to the early seasons. Uh, Now, of the guest stars that were involved, who do you think acquitted themselves the best, leaving out the possibility that Eric Roberts is your answer? We haven't even touched on his performance. I know. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Um, I rather enjoy Jim Rash, but I think I am rather biased in that sense because I enjoy him in most things. But he managed to be, you know weird without being the Dean again. So uh, right. yeah, I had fun with that. Now recently, Shirley McLean uh, had some sort of talk with uh, Jessica Williams from the daily show and Salma Hayek. And she said, let's see what she said here. She said to Jessica Williams, change your point of view of being victimized. I'm saying find the democracy inside. What do you think about that? Well, Yeah, if you follow the whole description of that conversation, it sounds like an absolute shit show where, Mm. you know, an old white lady is telling a young black woman not to feel victimized as if, I don't know, she would have any idea what Jessica Williams has gone through or the fact that Jessica fucking Williams could be accused of playing the victim at any point in her incredible career so far. Um yeah, that was not a good moment for Shirley MacLaine. Nor was it was it Selma Hayek who was also involved in that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was not a good moment for either of them. Um, perhaps the heavens should have told Shirley to back off a bit there. If you're a ghost who's listening to this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, please send a message to Shirley MacLaine to back the fuck off because that old white lady doesn't know what she's talking about. It's some white feminist bullshit she's going on there. Yes. It is white feminist bullshit, no doubt about it. This coming from, of course, a older white man who really has no difficulties <laughs> at all in this world. Eric Roberts is the fucking man, is the name of this podcast, Sarah. And yes. Eric Roberts is involved in this episode of Glee, but we haven't really talked about him very much. And why is that? Well, it's because Eric Roberts is the fucking fundraiser coordinator who doesn't even have a name in this case. Um, blink and you would quite literally miss this performance. I believe he has two lines, maybe two and a half, maybe yep. three. Uh, he is treated, uh, his character, as a complete afterthought. Um, there, It literally could be anyone else in that role. There's no... Some of these these character actors who appear in this episode, like Michael Lerner or Richard Kind, they basically get one scene where they really get to show off their, their talent. Eric Roberts does not get that. No, it's... It's just like, did he show up and was bored one day and thought, oh, I'll just play some regular no-named character. I don't need to be a special guest star on Glee. Um, I don't know how this happened. This might be the most depressed I've ever been watching an Eric Roberts project for this show. And again, I'm not blaming him or or, or uh, who knows what the situation was. Maybe he was doing a favor or something like that. The fact is, when Eric Roberts appears on television projects in the year 2017 or 2016, that he's usually a featured guest, right? Mm-hmm. He still has enough level of fame to allow for that. Mm-hmm. But this was such a nothing role that was so... It was so dismissed. Like, I was going into it, and I'm like, what fundraiser coordinator? What's this going to be? Maybe he's going to bring some of that classic Eric Roberts charm. But there there was no opportunity. There's nothing there. It was a downer, man. It really was. Like, I was at least expecting him to have some sort of more play off of Shirley MacLaine's character or something like that. And I kept waiting for him to come back later. But no, it was just really... Deliver a couple of lines admirably. I mean, if he had been a no-name actor, I wouldn't have stopped and gone like, oh, that fundraiser coordinator fucking sucks. It totally worked within the context of (laughs) a terrible episode, but just I don't understand why it happened this way. I'm going to allow for the idea that 
that it was done either as a favor or maybe he wanted an opportunity to spend some time with Shirley MacLaine, maybe something like that, uh, th- that would explain how this sort of thing happened. I mean, I can't even really go with the idea that he wanted to be on this hit show that maybe he really liked because I, my understanding is that by season five, its popularity had dripped somewhat. Uh, but maybe that was the case. Maybe he was just wanted to be on a show that he really liked. I know that Eric Roberts is a television enthusiast, but it it it, it was difficult to watch, I have to say. And not, not just because it was a show that I was already having some difficulty watching. Yeah, you were not rewarded in any way for sticking with that show that you didn't know and had no warm feeling toward just to get your three seconds of Eric Roberts there. I feel like, Sarah, that despite the title of the show, that I wasn't left with a good amount of glee when it was over. Well, I was because it was over. Oh, that's right. Other than that, I felt no glee during the proceedings. Um, Other than I vaguely remembered that a friend and I had this really deep conspiracy theory that the One Direction song, Story of My Life, that was used in that episode, we thought it was about necrophilia. So I, I got a laugh out of that, but that wasn't actually due to glee. Please elaborate on this theory. Okay, so um, my friend was obsessed with One Direction. We also have <laughs> a weird obsession with songs about necrophilia. Um, mm-hmm. Cemetery by the Headstones being a classic. Archie and Veronica by Lovage would be my number one favorite. That's the hell of a duet between a guy who's perhaps jacking off on a grave and the dead mm-hmm. in it. Um, but the story of my life has this really weird chorus about you know, driving her home and keeping her warm inside and loving her until she broke inside. Sarah, I have the lyrics right here in front of me. Let me just dramatize them briefly. The story of my life, I take her home. I drive all night to keep her warm and time is frozen. The story of my life, I give her hope. I spend her love until she's broke inside the story of my life. Yeah, so he kills her and then Mm -hmm. he needs to keep her corpse warm before he can dispose of it. Um, and, and yeah. Now, I don't know the members of One Direction outside of Zane, uh, but if you had to guess which member of the of the group, uh, perhaps dallies in Necrophilia, which one would it be? I don't think they dally in Necrophilia. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. they probably just think it's super funny. Uh, right. Yeah, it would be like, I don't know, I think one of them is named Liam. I'm just going to go throw Liam sure. under the bus on that one. Honestly, if there's one thing that we love on Eric Roberts is the fucking man is throwing Liam under the bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the... What Maybe is, if you'd been here, I wouldn't have thrown your One Direction namesake under the bus so quickly. Sorry, Liam. Enjoy your newborn. What's the, what's the best movie about necrophilia? Ooh, I don't know. I there's guess a, it would be Kissed. There's a great Canadian film called Kissed about Classic. necrophilia. There was another Canadian film that came out, I think, a year later. It was called Postmortem that was also about necrophilia. Um, yeah, and I remember the Now magazine review of Postmortem at the time was saying, you know, without spoiling anything, let's just say that Canadians do a lot more than see dead people. And that has stuck with me since my teen years. <laughs> I can also recommend there's a short film called Aftermath, which involves some necrophilia, which is uh, quite well made considering it's very very explicit and of course there's the two necromantic movies that everyone can check out (laughs) and of course that's why people come to discussions on glee it's to find out the best projects that they could be watching about necrophilia i think it's what because sometimes glee covers feel like necrophilia i actually do feel like we've come full circle and made this thematically appropriate well i'm glad of that but to really complete the circle we need to answer the question that this podcast asks is Eric Roberts the fucking man in this episode of Glee? I would say Eric Roberts was not even given the chance to be the fucking man in Glee. He was. We were robbed. I was going to say he was robbed. We as the audience were, we were. robbed. And I, I, I don't know how to feel about it. I feel conflicted. I feel torn up inside. Because I'm going to have to say, because the opportunity was not given, I'm not going to place the blame on one Mr. Eric Roberts. But in this episode of Glee from Season 5, Episode 18... Eric Roberts is not the fucking man. I I can't even believe the words that are coming out of my mouth. It's heartbreaking. It's sad. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we're going to be moving on to a project which has a lot more Eric Roberts. Yeah, yes, it does. I, 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 
Way more. In fact, it, even in the context of this project, I got way more Eric Roberts than I was even expecting, which is sort of the opposite that I got out of this episode of Glee. And what's great about it is not only do we get a surplus of Eric Roberts, we also get a surplus of Mr. Robert Vaughn. Well, you know, a little bit like you probably felt watching Glee for Eric Roberts is a bit how I felt watching this movie for Robert Vaughn, but at least he was there. We will talk about it. After this break, yeah, we're going to talk about 2014's A Cry From Within. Join us. Yeah. Join us right after this. I was all right for a while. I could smile for a while. But I saw you last night. You held my hand so tight as you stopped. A New York City family is stuck in the hamster wheel of money and spending and position. When the mom, Cecile, loses a baby, the family decides to simplify their lives and move to the country. The house they choose slowly lets it be known that it has chosen them as well, and the mystery and connection unfolds in a terrifying and tragic reveal. It is the startling horror film, A Cry From Within, also known as Sebastian, from 2014. It's a spooky, scary, spooky haunted house movie, isn't it, Sarah? It is a spooky haunted house movie um, about why you probably shouldn't just lease houses that your car breaks down in front of. Um, but yeah, it's a ghost story. It's a ghost story. It's a, I have to say, it is a fairly unique ghost story. I was doing a little research on this. Now, the lead actress in this film, Deborah Twiss, is also the writer and co-director. And my understanding, just from a little bit of research, is that this movie is partially based on a real-life experience that she encountered. Yeah, um, I wouldn't even say partially, because um, after I got the notes from you that said, based on a true story, I decided to do some research, too. Mm -hmm. And in the Q&As I found with Deborah Twist, uh, yeah, she pretty much says that she was living in her in-law's brownstone, I believe, in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And... Um, a bad boy ghost started to harass her young children and make them do violent things to themselves and each other and made mm -hmm. a dog bite her daughter's nose. Um, and then mm -hmm. it turned out that this ghost was named Sebastian and he wanted uh. her to write his story. <clears throat> Sarah. Yes? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being plausible and 10 being ludicrous... Where would you place the plot of Sebastian on it? Oh, let's just give it a seven because uh -huh. I'm sure that there are cases where people think their houses are haunted and it makes their children super violent, but it makes them super horny. Mm -hmm. Let's just mm -hmm. say seven. <laughs> now, did she say in the interview if the ghost made her super horny? Because in this movie, she is super horny. Yeah, she skipped over all of that in real life, so maybe that's why it's only partially based on a true story. Um, but you know what? If the ghost hadn't made her super horny, he would not have eventually impregnated his spirit in her or something. Mm -hmm. And it would have totally blown the incredible end of the movie if she hadn't been banging Eric Roberts all the time. She There is a POV shot of, I guess, ghost cam, which goes right into her uterus. So I'm guessing that uh, that was the moment in the movie where she was impregnated by the ghost. Yes, the ghost conception. Um, yeah, it's like the opposite, you know, in Ghostbusters, Dan Aykroyd, of course, he receives a ghost uh, blowjob. I keep forgetting about that part. Yeah, very important moment in the history of comedic cinema. But in this movie, they flip it around, and she gets it on with a ghost. Now, I do have to say, it does not look to be consensual. However, she doesn't seem to have a major issue with it. Yeah, because uh, it, it, I think other than there is a, spoiler alert, brief shock ending at the very end, everyone <laughs> is really, really happy that she has this ghost baby in her uterus that she's going to gestate and they're going to have a ghost sibling that 
fucking terrorized them for the entire movie, but yes, yes and in fact, understood. And in fact, I don't feel like I still understood exactly what the fuck was going on for a good chunk of this movie because the ghost seems to exist in some sort of physical form of the kind that can take a guinea pig and just sort of make it vanish into the basement and just like pet it, I guess, all the time. Yeah. And also the ghost just shows up sometimes and the ghost looks like a little girl even though it's supposed to be a little boy. Uh, and uh, and it's awfully confusing and there's a lot of flashbacks of a child being uh, chained up. And I realize afterwards that we're supposed to think that um, it was one character's baby, but when we find out that it was actually her mother's baby, and at the end, I have to say, I did not give a fuck about what was going on in this movie, because it is shit. It's so bad. Like, it's really uninteresting, and it's so little plot for the amount of time that you have to spend with it. But with that said, I'm just going to put it out there. Did not yeah. enjoy this movie. It does have a shockingly good cast. And It is shocking that this cast was involved, yeah. So Robert Vaughn is in this, of course. We'll talk about him in just a second. But yeah. then we also have Eric Roberts, of course. We have Deborah Twist herself, best known for her performance as the sexy t- teacher from Kick-Ass. <laughs> we also have James McCaffrey from Rescue Me, the television show. But he's also best known as the voice of Max Payne from the video game series Max Payne. He's in here as well. Yep. And, and we get Kathy Moriarty. Mm-hmm. The wonderful actress, of course, best known for Raging Bull, Academy Award-nominated actress. And I'm going to say this. I think she's great in this. I think she's really, really good. She is head and shoulders above every other person in this movie. She is really giving it her all. I mean, I think either she just didn't care that it was no good or maybe part of her believed it would be if she just motored through and performed as if she were in a serious, you know, ghost thriller. Um, but yeah. I think maybe her character, because it has a little bit more meat to it, and there's a lot more, because the, the, not to give too much of the plot away, but she has a very combative relationship with her bedridden mother, and we start with that, and we learn more and more about their relationship and why it has come to that as the film goes on. And in fact, she wants to, she really wants to murder her mother because of what she's been through, and it, there's a lot of complex uh, psychological things going on and a little bit is revealed at a time so it makes her character have a certain level of mystery to it which though I did not really care where it was going to go I felt like she was really committed to bringing it to life that's a really good point you know I think probably unfortunately Kathy Moriarty is not given a lot of meaty roles like that mm-hmm. in general at this point because no one gives meaty roles to women of a certain age anyway so yeah it actually did give her a lot to chew on Robert Vaughn, the actor, passed away in the year 2016. I know that struck you. Uh, I, I know that you felt a lot of emotions when that occurred. I did. And, yeah, and I'm I, over it. I, I didn't want to bring up any of those motions, emotions again, having you watch this, because I imagine this must have been one of his final roles, I guess. Uh, cer- certainly in the last collection of roles, I would say. Um, what would you say... <laughs> About Robert Vaughn's performance in this movie, Sebastian. Well, sort of like the role of fundraiser coordinator could have gone to anyone in Glee and went to your fucking man. Um, Really, this tiny role of Doc Williams. I'm not even sure if they actually say Doc Williams in the movie. He is just an old doctor who shows up and basically says, well, your mother is fantastically old. That is a paraphrase. Um... And then just leaves. I, I, it's like three seconds. I don't understand why the casting director, because I did read this in one of the Q&As with the director. She had a fantastic casting director who got her this wonderful cast and apparently just sat there and went, you know who would be good for the doctor? Robert Vaughn. And I'm not <laughs> sure why she had this epiphany other than like I probably, if Robert Vaughn were still alive, would just say Robert Vaughn should be in everything. So maybe that was her logic. In which case I support it because, you know, even at like probably, let's see, he would have been 82 at the time this was filmed. He's good looking 82 year old. <laughs> I mean, it's a very thankless performance. And it's a very thankless role, I should say. Yeah, there's like absolutely nothing for him to work with there. He's just a doctor who's like, hey, your mom is sick and old. Oh, and goodbye. Yeah, and that is the, the, the long and short of, of kind of everything that we get here. It's It really is confusing. Like when he showed up, I was like, okay, okay, here he is. He maybe will have a scene 
Maybe with Eric Roberts. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yes. He doesn't. <laughs> he gets a handful of lines. And you also get the impression maybe he'll come back later in the movie, right? Because we do get introduced to characters like the priest character played by Max Payne. And and he's like, he dips into the movie and kind of, and it all culminates at the end where all the characters come together in some form. And he just doesn't. He's just not part of this movie. But there was there was no reason for a doctor to show up at that time necessarily at all, let alone, you know, a living legend. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just another really weird guest starring role that we've had to talk about tonight. Now, what did you think of Deborah Twiss's performance? I mean, she, I mean, I think she is ostensibly the lead of this film. Most of the action revolves around her, and a lot of it happens directly to her. Uh, what did you think of her performance? Well, something I'm really confused about as I try to go over this film is that there was sort of nonstop screaming and hysterics, and yet mm-hmm. everyone really seemed at the same time, quite blasé about the fucked up shit that was happening in this house. And Mm -hmm. I cannot wrap my head around how those two things went together because she was always crying and screaming and running around telling Sebastian to reveal himself when she wasn't super horny. Um, So, yeah, I... It's difficult to reconcile because I should mention... Again, because I'm sure a lot of listeners have not seen this movie. This ghost not only causes, like, commotions and things and makes itself visible at times and makes people kind of worried and scared. It also abuses the people in the house. The The little girl gets sick and at one point she apparently gets beaten quite badly and they have to go to the hospital. Or I should say the exterior of the hospital. Yeah, um, because, you know... God forbid they could have gone into emergency and seen Doc Williams, who might have put together, I don't know, anything. Maybe that was it. Maybe they wanted to bring Robert Vaughn back in a scene in a hospital, but they just couldn't get it with the uh, half a million dollar budget that is reported on IMDb for this movie to have cost. Yeah, and I don't know what else it went toward, because it certainly wasn't like sound design or editing or any of those things. Um, but yeah, that's sort of characteristic of the whole film, though, is that there's this huge like, abuse that happens to this girl, so they try to run her to a hospital, and we've got all this drama, and then they just drop it in the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> there's a few flaws, I would say, in this movie. <laughs> uh, one of those things in this movie that is not flawed, <laughs> perhaps... Yeah is the performance from Eric Roberts. Now, Eric Roberts plays the patriarch of this family. He is a therapist. Uh, he f- starts off working in New York City, but then moves to this uh, smaller location, uh, I guess near Long Island or something, for this uh, more remote house after his wife uh, has a miscarriage. And he he is very much on the periphery of the plot of this movie. My favorite scene occurs when he has a conversation with the priest and he's very cagey and sarcastic and seems to be like not into the idea of this guy at all, uh, where the priest is kind of prying for information about Kathy Moriarty's character. What did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in this? I I thought it was, he really did roll with the punches of sort of a secondary reaction, reactive role. Um, I also really liked the part after the weird, creepy, ghost-inspired sex where he sort of looks at himself in a mirror. And <laughs> usually when, like, guys look at themselves in a mirror after they get laid, it's, like, a little puffed up and excited. And there's a tiny bit of that, but mostly he's just really fucking haunted by the whole thing. And I thought that actually sold the sex a little more than anything else could have. I, the one thing I can't believe in this movie is his character's acceptance of everything at the end, especially because he's not there for the kind of culminating moment. He just kind of bursts in after everyone is huddled together on the ground after their, the ghost thing comes to kind of a head. It's just hard to believe that he is totally okay with the ghost fetus in his wife's belly and, uh, and his life revolving around this haunted house that he lives in, it's just because he seems kind of a pragmatic character. Like, he's very dismissive of all the suggestion that there's something supernatural going on. When his son sees something, he brings him into the basement to show him that there's nothing there, that it was all in his head and stuff like that. So his character doesn't really have the arc that brings him to a place that makes that believable to me. But that said, this is based on a truish story. Uh, So maybe the person that Eric Roberts... 
was playing that his turnaround was just as kind of simple and straightforward as it is in this movie. But well, I do have to say, I, I found that difficult. Well, his character does make a lot of bizarre leaps, though. I mean, it's it's set up probably unintentionally very quickly that his wife has a miscarriage and she's sad. So he's like, let's move forever. <laughs> And then when they go on their first trip to, like, check out if they want to move forever, their car breaks down and they go to a house for help and then they decide to lease it. So he's perhaps rational in one-on-one interactions, but his life choices are suspect from the very beginning of the film. So that is actually kind of practical for him. It's a good point. There's The mystery at the center of this movie is... is strange i mean there's a big section where the daughter of the family finds a doll which is supposed to be from kathy moriarty's childhood meaning that this doll that she finds outside would have been buried for like 50 years or not like like just in a bush for 50 years yeah and and they just kind of let her take this awful looking doll (laughs) and have it as her like major plaything. and of course that's supposed to lead to creepy moments of the doll speaking into the child's ear and 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 she's supposed to have some sort of kind of weird connection to the doll. Did you find this movie scary at all? No. no. I think it's supposed to be unsettling. Um but even then it's I think they it really undercuts all of its own ingrown horror and logic by having the actual scary moments be received so strangely. Like, there's one point where the daughter goes out into the yard half-possessed and finds this little mystery box that she dug up during an episode. And then the family takes the box back in, and they're all like, hey, let's look at this cool shit, which is probably not how I would feel if my daughter had been, you know, possessed and or chased by, like, a really poor man's version of the snowsuit rage baby from The Brood. (laughs) <laughs> and then just like brought more creepy shit from the yard into the house. Um, so yeah, I think that that really killed the mood for me more than anything. It's just how bored everyone was with how scary things were. That sequence is so strange, by the way, because the daughter is running outside. There's a second character that is supposed to be confusing people because it looks enough like the daughter that they think it might be her. They don't. They can't know for sure whether the daughter is outside or not. Mm-hmm. So they, they go after her as she's in the snow outside. And then they bring this box in. And it's like all that weird possession stuff didn't even happen. There's like, eh, let's get in here and see what's in this box. And of course there's weird stuff in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like when Eric Roberts starts reading from the diary, realizes very quickly <laughs> that it's not something he should be reading as kids. And he's like, eh, maybe we'll read this. And if, if it's interesting, we'll tell you about it later. <laughs> yeah, which... You know, actually, that's a super believable dad move yeah. at some point. Um, and also just a really cheap way to, like, pull the tension out later. Like, oh, we could have revealed this now, but, you know, not in front of the kids. This is a ludicrous movie. <laughs> it really is. And I'm, 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 you know, I hate to cast doubt on the experience of Deborah Twist, the creator of this. And, and I'm certainly not saying that her experiences are without value or, or are not valid in any way. But I have to say that the dramatization of it in this film is not very entertaining. And I'm sure as spooky as it was in real life, that doesn't necessarily come across on film. However, Sarah, we have to answer the question now. In this movie, where we get so much more Eric Roberts than we got in that episode of Glee, but unfortunately very little Robert Vaughn, yeah. is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Can I say that even though Robert Vaughn didn't get enough to do, I want them to share fucking man status because it brought me back here and at least they were in a movie together, if not in a scene together. I will accept that. For this episode, Eric Roberts, Robert Vaughn are fucking men. Yeah. And good on them for that. And of course, I will concur. I believe Eric Roberts is the fucking man in this film. I also believe that Robert Vaughn is the fucking man and, uh, you know, he acquits himself just fine in his uh, very brief performance in this. But I will say, because I was excited about him showing up and I did not feel like my appetite was satiated, that it means I have to go out and watch something else with Robert Vaughn in it. What should I watch? Well, let's see. Um... Probably The Magnificent Seven, I'm going to say. It's an obvious choice, but he is absolutely great in it. Um, And then you can go read his memoir, where he just gleefully admits that the whole cast had diarrhea the whole time. 
um, and gets into great detail about his good friend Steve McQueen's like obsessive paranoia on set. And so it's it's actually kind of fun if you can balance the weird hyper masculinity that went on offset with their diarrhea with the actual film that was made. Should I also watch the comedic film Basketball? You know what? He, he does quite a good job in Basketball. I actually, that was part of my like post Vaughn death binge watch. I think it's the first time I've seen it since the 90s. Um, and it holds up pretty well. And yeah, Vaughn in his like middle to late age did some really good campy villain characters. I think he's also really great in the otherwise terrible Superman 3. Um, <laughs> The man could chew scenery, and he, he did it quite well in a lot of those like villain roles in the 80s and 90s. And I will give a recommendation for 1980s Battle Beyond the Stars, one of my, uh, well, I think, a very underrated science fiction movie written by John Sayles. Why don't you check out Battle Beyond the Stars? Basically a remake of The Magnificent Seven in anyway. In space, yeah. In space, as, <laughs> which of course makes everything better. Well, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? That's the theme of this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. We are, listeners, going to take our final break. And when we come back, we're going to have a little talk with Sarah. We're going to close up the Eric Roberts bag, and we're going to say goodnight. We'll be back right after this. How stand I, then, that have a father killed, a mother stained, excitements of my reason and my blood, and let all sleep while to my shame I see the imminent death of 20,000 men that for a fantasy and trick of fame go to their graves like beds, fight for a plot which is not tomb enough and countenant to hide the slay. That was Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, episode number 42, featuring 2014's A Cry From Within and Glee, season 5, episode 18. Sarah, I want to thank you so much for returning to Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. When I said at the beginning that you're one of my favorite guests, I wasn't just blowing smoke. And in fact, if you think back to what I said, I didn't just say that you were one of my favorite guests. I said you were my favorite guest. You did, yes. And I'm going to confirm that right here. What a delight it is to have Sarah on this show. Sarah, where can people find the work that you're doing and how can we keep up on the whole experience? Well, I am a weekly columnist for the establishment now covering... um, Anything in the general mental health sphere, even though, weirdly, none of us have mental health problems right now, so it's quite a frivolous gig I've got going on there. Um, I'm still writing regular MMA stuff for Fightland, and you can find me on Twitter at Fodder Figure, F-O-D-D-E-R, Figure. I like it when people spell it out, because you just never know. It could be a Liam Rules situation with the Z on the end, because that's just ludicrous. Uh, Sarah, of course, is someone that you should follow on Twitter. I don't always hammer home that you should follow our listeners, uh, sorry, follow our guests on Twitter, but this one you're going to want to do. And of course, you should read her work over at The Establishment and of course on uh, the other places that she mentioned as well. Her (laughs) MMA writing is very, very good. And I try to retweet it whenever I can because uh, I don't have a lot of intimate knowledge of mixed martial arts fighting, but I do enjoy it. And I try to keep up on the big stories that are going on. But I believe that Sarah brings a very unique and interesting perspective that also apparently leads to a lot of hate mail being sent her way. Would that be correct, Sarah? Yeah, you know what? It's, it, I wouldn't say it's a lot. I'm still fairly low profile, but there is consistent hate mail. Um, and I've had two nice emails over the past year, though, from people who wanted me to know that not all men are garbage who will tell me that my husband's a cuck because I said something nice about Chris Cyborg one time. So that was nice. <laughs> So what I'm trying to say to our listeners is read the work of Sarah and send her nice emails about the work that she's doing. Now, I have to ask you, Sarah, of the messages that you get, which are maybe not so positive, if you could make the percentages, how many of them are from men and how many of them are from women? Um, I once received an email from a woman Mm -hmm. and it said, fuck you, you bullshit bitch. And bullshit was spelled incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That was, I think, the only one. And I think I wrote back, cool story, bro. And then oh. I got back, I'm not a bro. Hmm. Yeah. So um, other than that, it's just dudes who are really super mad that a woman says anything about fighting. And also that I try to bring identity politics into fighting. And they hate that even though they all own Muhammad Ali t-shirts. <laughs> 
keep an eye out for more work from Sarah Kerchak. Do I fuck up the pronunciation of your last name, Sarah? It's a little more of an ack. It's really, it's actually technically spelled. Yeah, Kerchak. Kerchak. I don't want to fuck it up. I don't want to be that person who keeps fucking up your last name, which is why for the entirety of this last segment, I just kept calling you Sarah because I didn't want to be the person (laughs) fucking it up. Very transparent on my part. You can, of course... (laughs) <laughs> no problem. You can, of course, find more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man at ericrobertsistheman.com. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M or go on Facebook, do a search for Eric Roberts is the man. You can also uh, follow us there, maybe suggest some Eric Roberts projects for the future. You can find me on the internet in all sorts of different places, but primarily over on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If I'm doing any recent writing, it's either on dorkshelf.com or Electric City Magazine, which is the, uh, a local publication here in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. And you can, of course, find my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over at nobudgetpodcast.com. I guess I should give a quick plug to Liam, who can't do it himself. His work is over at cinepunks.com, and you can find him at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z, over on Twitter. But I think that's all the Eric Roberts I can handle for this night. I want to thank Sarah once more for taking the time out to speak with us about these wonderful Eric Roberts-related projects. We're going to be back in two weeks with more greatness, I promise you. But until then, good night. Say good night. Good night. (laughs) Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.